Welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their great hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams. You're listening to bonus episode Elk Trip 101. Hey guys, welcome to the show. You know, I hear a lot of times guys say, it is on my bucket list, one of the things I really want to do, or it's a dream of mine to go out west and go elk hunting. And that just gets me fired up. Like, I love hearing guys say that, but usually whenever I dig a little bit into that statement, I find that most guys have never taken any steps to actually make that dream a reality. <laughs> there's no part of planning, and I, and I get that because there's a lot of things that go into uh, making that choice that you're actually going to do it. Um, it's kind of daunting. It's a little bit like, how do you even skin that cat? How do you figure out how to get into the mountains? Um, how do you understand points and draw systems, and where do you go, and what weapon? It can be a little over the top, and then how do you afford it? Um, I've been able to go on two elk trips, and I am now right smack in the middle of planning my third one this coming year, or this year that I'm in, actually, 2022. And so I thought what might be helpful as a bonus episode is to try and lay this out there. How can you go on an elk trip, and how can you plan for it, save for it, all those sorts of things, and understand it? And I'm not going to dive in real deep to all of the intricacies of scouting or um, how each state works specifically, because to be quite honest, I don't know how every state works specifically. I know about two and a half, maybe, <laughs> two and a half states how they work. Um, I also am not going to really touch on mule deer hunting. A lot of this is similar, but I've never attempted that either. So this is specifically for those of you who say, man, I'd love to go elk hunting, but I'm not sure where to start. Um, there's a lot of good resources out there for you. And I want to mention those off the top because it might save you. <laughs> you might not want to even listen to what I have to say. I'm a rookie. There's some other people out there who have some really good stuff. Corey Jacobson, Elk 101. Can't recommend the University of Elk uh, enough. Uh, Randy Newberg. Um, he's got a lot of great YouTube videos, how-tos, how to draw, states, things like that. If you're looking at a calling, totally recommend Paul Medell, Elk Nut. I'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Um, but there's a lot of good resources. But I thought what I offer from my perspective is that I'm still a rookie, still trying to learn it. But I have been able to take this once dream and turn it into two elk trips and now planning a third. And I think you can do the same thing. Now, I will say this. I know not everybody is in the same position that I'm in as far as having flexibility in my job, vacation time. Um, maybe um, you, you, finances become an issue. Um, you know, I completely get that. And I want to try and address some of those issues and see if maybe this is just something might be helpful. So this is kind of a blanket stereotype statement on how to get there. Uh, your situation may vary. So that said, uh, I want to start with the dream. Uh, whenever I was a kid, my dad went elk hunting, I think maybe two, three times, went out to Colorado with some buddies on a rifle trip. And I just remember he came home and he'd have these pictures. Of course, they were print, you know, <laughs> Polaroid uh, pictures. And I just remember looking at those, just, it was just so cool. And he took a video camera out one time and I remember watching him uh, commentate on the mountains as he saw them and just the, I remember their camp and them setting up the camp and my dad never shot an elk while he was out there, but some of the guys he was with did. And I just remember that stuck with me as a dream. And he always said, man, I'd love to take you boys out there one day, me and my brother. Well, time goes on. Um, life happens. You get into school and sports, and we you know, deer hunt and those sorts of things. But it just never happened. You know, It just became one of those things where dad talked about it, but we just never really made the plan. 
So in 20, I believe it'd be probably about 2014, 2015, I started pushing on it a little bit. I said, Dad, are we going to do this sometime? Do we want to go on this trip? Are you still up for it? And he was like, yeah, let's do it. So we started making the game plan to go in 2016. And we were going to go with our relatives from Louisiana. We were going to meet out in Colorado, go during second rifle season. And um, that was that was the game plan. Unfortunately, my dad found out in 2016, the beginning of it, that he had cancer and was going to be going through chemo about the time uh, we'd be going on this trip in uh, October. And uh, so that was a deal breaker for him. He was not able to go, um, but my dad wanted me to go, so he paid for uh, my airplane ticket. He didn't want me to drive by myself. I was the only one coming from Ohio, so he paid for me to get on a plane and uh, go out there and chase those elk for a week. And I tell you, it was such an amazing experience. I'm so glad that I got to do that because I got to come back and tell him the stories while he was still around. Uh, he didn't pass until 2018. Um, but, I mean, he was happy that I got to go. And I said in 2016, whenever I went on this trip, if I ever go back, I'd like to go with a bow in my hand, and I'd like to experience the rut and calling. And I got to experience that in, in 2019. Um, you need to take this whole episode with a grain of salt because I have not killed an elk yet. Uh, both trips, I saw elk, um, was able to find them. Once again, this is not a how to kill an elk. It's how to even get yourself there. How do you even get yourself to the spot? And I want to break down some just basic concepts, some things maybe that you already know, some things maybe you haven't thought of before, and just try and give my perspective on it. So here we go. Um, whenever you're deciding to elk hunt, the first thing that's going to probably be a deterrent right off the bat is cost. Most guys, it's, it's trying to figure out how are you going to pay for it. More importantly, how are you going to convince your wife uh, to, help, to let you pay for it? Um, if you're in my shoes, I, didn't, I can't just go out and spend a grand or two grand or whatever it is um, you know, without her giving me the thumbs up. I mean, we're a team. We manage our finances together. So, uh, yeah, that, that becomes one of those things that can be uh, right off the get-go a, a deal breaker for a lot of guys. Um, First thing that you need to think about whenever you're thinking about finances is do you want to go on a guided hunt or do you want to do a DIY? Uh, the other alternative is be like a, a hybrid where it's like a drop camp. They guide you, they take you into a spot, set up your tent for you, and leave you, and then they come back if you shoot an elk and pull it out. Um, I've never done that, and I've never done the guided trip. I do know that those are going to be more expensive. Um, you're going to be looking at Definitely over $1,500, most likely $2,000, $3,000, $4,000, depending on who you go with and how uh, how nice things are and, and where you're hunting. So I've never done that. I can't speak to that. I can tell you that I've twice I've gone, I've really enjoyed just the DIY, learning how to do it myself, not having somebody teach me. I mean, those guided hunts can be hard. Uh, I know a buddy that said the, the guides that he was with, like they'd hike 10 to 12 mi miles a day. So just because you go on a guided hunt doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It does mean that you're probably going to have a better uh, success rate because those guys live there. They know they know where to put you. They know where the elk have been. You don't. So if you want to go on a guided hunt, um, it's going to require a lot more money, a lot more saving. This is how I did it for a DIY. If, if you don't budget, that's probably going to be your Achilles heel. You have to know how to save for something like this. If, if you just don't have the money sitting there in a savings account or you're not a wheeler and dealer and can sell stuff and make the money up some other way. For me, I had to budget. Um, so I told my wife I'd like to put back 50 bucks a month, uh, and we started back in like 2014, 50 bucks a month I put into a special savings account. You figure that's not a whole big chunk. Most people can probably figure out a way maybe to do 50 bucks a month by skimming on some things or whatever. Um, but at the end of the year, you got $600. The next year, you got $1,200. And in the third year, you have $1,800. That is manageable to do 
a DIY elk trip as long as you, like I said, aren't going on a guided trip and you're not trying to buy uh, the most expensive backpacks and most expensive tents and those kind of things. You can kind of get by with the gear that you already have for uh, deer hunting. And I'm assuming most of you are probably like me, a, a Midwestern, Southern person, um, maybe not from the mountains already. You wouldn't already have that gear. So uh, that's my that's how I do it. Um, I plan, I kind of have an agreement with my wife that I'm going to go once every three years. Uh, to go any more than that would definitely take away from our finances, take away from my kids' vacation time. Um, so once every three years, maybe every four years, just depends on what's going on. And that's that's how I've done it so far. And um, my wife is is on board with that plan, which is good. Um, so uh, 50 bucks a month is kind of what we do. And then I do these side jobs too. Um, I don't take all the money from my side jobs and throw into the elk thing. I feel like that'd be a little selfish. I take a portion of it, a small portion of it, and throw into my elk account um, for different things. Preference points, being able to pay for those. And then the rest, of course, goes to family, vacations, family car, all those things that we, we, we do. But if you have trouble with finances, this is going to be, it will be a, a, a dream that's always a dream. Um, if you can't figure out how to save and budget, and um, some folks just maybe aren't in that position, and I, I get that, I feel for you. Uh, I recommend Dave Ramsey, Total Money Makeover. Um, my wife and I, we had a ton of um, you know, student debt from college, and that's well, I did. She was super smart and got like full ride almost. Um, but I had a lot of debt, and of course, we had cars. And Dave Ramsey teaches you kind of how to snowball and get rid of that debt, and um, that's super helpful. And so that might be the first thing that you need to do is get a hold of your finances. But I'm not, I'm not here to be a financial coach. Um, <laughs> just here to try and help you get elk hunting. So if you can feel like you can save, even if it's 25 bucks, make that game plan. Maybe you, maybe it's a 10-year plan. Maybe you won't be able to go for 10 years. But if you don't start now, 10 years from now, unless you get a giant pay raise or hit the lottery, you're still not going. So if it's really a dream, if it's something that you really want to do, make a game plan. Don't just talk about it. Do it. And I want to tell you, it's worth it. Uh, it's so worth it to get into those mountains and chase them. Is it hard? Absolutely. We'll dive into that too, but it's worth it. So step one, save. Uh, get over that money thing. Step two is trying to figure out where in the world do you go. Um, that's going to be based off of a few things. You need to decide what kind of weapon do you envision yourself hunting with. Um, I went out in 2016 with a rifle in my hand, had practiced shooting over 300 yards. I, I honestly, where I was at, everybody has these pictures. You need to erase from your mind the things that you've seen on TV and YouTube. Not every place looks like where those guys are hunting. Most of them are hunting probably in draw units or on ranches. Um, <laughs> it doesn't always look like that. Um, so you got to decide what, what weapon do you want to use and what time of year do you want to go? Do you want to hear bugles? Is that important to you or you, would you rather sit over a watering hole? Um, how do you, how do you envision this? 2016, I was just trying to go elk hunting, borrowed a rifle, got out there. Um, I was the only person in my party that saw elk the entire trip and I saw them for a split second on a rainy day. Um, I realized pretty quickly I wasn't far enough back in. I'll get to that later whenever I cover access, but I, re I just decided right then, man, I really want to hear him bugle. And you don't hear him bugle in second in October. The rut is over. The rut happens in September, kind of mid-September, September 10th through the kind of the end of the month is, is the best time to hear those bugles. And so for me, I wanted to go with a bow in my hand so I could hear that. And I actually thought I had a better opportunity um, of getting in close, and that proved to be true. Uh, the other thing that you could do is muzzleloader hunt. And a lot of times those muzzleloader hunting seasons fall right into the rut as well. But you got to kind of look at the regulations. In Colorado, at least, you can't use any scope. So it's got to be an open-site muzzleloader. Um, so 
you know, those are things that you got to decide. What do you? What type of hunt do you want? Usually, first or second rifle season, or if you go any later, you're going to be dealing with snow on the peaks, real high. Could be a lot of snow. Um, so you know, you got to look at those kind of things. What kind of shape do you think you're going to be in? Do you want an easy kind of spot and stock come over hills and the grassy plains, or do you want to be in the mountains, um, going at steep elevations up to 11,000, 12,000 feet? Uh, those are just things that you kind of got to know about yourself. Uh, how 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 do you do with grinding? Um, <laughs> how well do you do with like uh, being disappointed and having little sleep and putting on miles? Like, h- how well do you handle those things? That's going to determine where you want to go and how you want to hunt. So that said, that's going to also determine what kind of place do you want to hunt and how much hunting pressure do you want to bump into. There are a few states that offer over-the-counter tags. Um, Colorado being the main one for archery, they also do a second rifle season. By over-the-counter, that means you can walk into any sporting goods store out there during the season, Walmart, and you can buy a tag right then and there. You drop the money on it, um, and then you can go uh, any place that allows that tag to be honored. Um, Usually, there's several units typically that you can go to with that over-the-counter tag. You're not stuck to just one unit. Let me back up for a second. Most of the western states, let me go very basic, most of the western states are broken down into hunting units. Um, Picture places about the size of a county, maybe two counties, huge sometimes. Like Some of them are absolutely, like it'd take you days to walk across them. Others are a little bit smaller. Um, And an over-the-counter license, generally speaking, gets you into all of the -the over-the-counter units. Whereas a draw unit or a limited tag, uh, that's, that's one that you have to draw. Uh, the benefit of over-the-counter is you don't have to really plan. You know that you're going to go elk hunting as long as there's like not a set quota for how many they give out. You show up, you buy your tag, you're, you're in the woods hunting. Um, that's the benefit. The, the downfall is there's a lot more hunters in the woods. 2016, I bumped into all kinds of hunters all over the place. Uh, every day I ran into a hunter uh, with a rifle in his hand. It was the Orange Army, so to speak. Um, there was some private ground. I remember all these guys would get out early in the morning and they would just camp along that private ground fence hoping one of the elk that lived on that ranch would cross the fence. To my knowledge, none ever did. In fact, the only way I found elk that day was I was going to do the same thing, but I saw so many guys down there kind of sitting by the fence hoping for an elk to come across. I decided to go up the mountain the backside, not the easy way, not the path where everybody else went up. I went up the back side of the mountain and just went flat by flat through the rain, and that's how I saw elk. Don't know if there's a bull or not, but I saw elk for a split second that weren't on private ground, somebody's pet. <laughs> so um, there are opportunities to hop on private ground, by the way. I haven't figured out how to do that. You can knock doors, send letters, whatever. I pretty much tap into the thousands upon thousands of acres that are public that you can go anywhere you want. The secondary option to over-the-counter is what's called a draw unit, meaning you have to put your name into a big hat that has a bunch of other people in it and hope that your name gets pulled out. Um, Draw systems are different for each state. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Colorado and how it could hypothetically work in Colorado, Um, but Montana, Wyoming, I know how they work. I have no idea how Arizona, Utah, Nevada, I don't know how those those states really run. mainly because those states tend to be a little bit more expensive than my blood, uh, and I can afford Colorado and Montana and Wyoming, so that's, that's where I go. If I wanted to hunt Colorado um, in future years, and I didn't want to deal with the over-the-counter crowd, I would try and apply for a draw unit. Um, I would want to get what's called a preference point. 
This year, let's say it's 2022, the draw will open up in March. I will get on, um, I think it's cpw.org or whatever, Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Um, on there, I create an account, and I would uh, try to buy a preference point. The way that that works is I would have from March until April 5th, 6th, 7th, somewhere in there. Don't quote me on that. Just look it up. Um, and you would have to apply online and buy that. The cost is going to vary depending upon the state. For Colorado, I have to buy a non as a non-resident, I have to buy a qualifying license before I can buy the preference point. Qualifying license, the cheapest one is a small game license for about 86 bucks. You throw in a habitat stamp, then you get your preference point after that's already in your cart, and out the door you're paying about $110 for a preference point. That's a little steep. Um, it didn't used to be that way for Colorado. Colorado used to be you had to send in the entire amount for an elk tag, 676 bucks, and then they would keep it from April until July, and then they would send you back $636. They'd keep $40. Um, they've changed that. I'm kind of glad. I mean, it's more expensive now, but sending up fronting that kind of money every year was uh, a challenge. Um, so anyway, now what you do is you just buy that small game license, and then I've got one preference point. What does that mean? In 2023, whenever I apply, I can try and start looking either on uh, Go Hunt or Top Rut or just do Google searches of uh, elk draw odds, and I can look in Colorado and see what are my odds with one point. Um, probably not going to be a lot of options, but there are some options. There are some places where you can get drawn or maybe have a decent chance of getting drawn with just one point. That one point puts you ahead of anybody who has zero points. Obviously, if somebody has more than you, then they get chosen before you. It's not a random draw. It's a it's preference points. So if you have somebody has 10 points and they want to choose your unit, depending on how many tags there are, they're first in line. Um, and so you can stack up points. Right now, I think I have two or three points in Colorado, which is enough to get me drawn where I want to go back to, I believe. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's how that works in Colorado. Other states, I'm going to give you a quick overview of how it can work. I think Montana and Wyoming, they have over-the-counter units for people who live there. Okay, so if I'm a resident of Montana, I can just go to Walmart and buy what's called a general tag, and I can hunt 30 different units. But as a non-resident, I have to draw that tag first. Before I can even apply to get into a regular, like a specific unit, I have to apply just to get that general tag that a Montana resident can go and drop 50 bucks at Walmart. And it's going to cost me a lot. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about costs real quick. For Colorado, right now, their elk, either sex tag is running about $700. Montana, Wyoming, you're looking between $800, $900, maybe more if you want to enter what's called a special draw in Montana, special draw, or maybe that's Wyoming. I think it's, I can't remember which, it gets confusing, but there are ways in which you can increase your odds, but you have to pay like $1,200. Ain't doing it. Sorry. Um, I don't, that's, that's way more than what I want to spend on an elk tag. But um, you have to get drawn on that general tag. And then uh, after you, you put in, uh, if drawn in the general tag, I want to apply for this specific unit. So I want to go to this specific unit and it'll be a draw unit. So it's kind of, it happens at the same time, but your first level is you have to get that general tag. If I get that general tag, hey, I can go hunt any of the 30 units, but maybe a, I want to get away from all the Montana residents that can just go buy it over the counter, and I want a specific unit, then I try and get drawn for that. I will say this, 2019, I went to a draw unit. Did not take very many points at all to draw in Colorado, archery, and uh, went to that unit, and I did not bump into another hunter face-to-face -face the entire time I was there. 
like I said, in Colorado over, on a second rifle season, uh, which was over the counter in 2016, I bump into somebody every single day. So I loved it. And I've kind of decided I really don't ever want to deal with over the counter again. Do, can the hunting public, hunting public guys do it? Sure. Can I? I don't know. Um, I don't know if I want to, if I'm only going once every three years, I would prefer to kind of be away from people. I, I hate bumping into people. It's just one of those things. If you're used to it, if you're a public land hunter and you're used to bumping into people, um, there's plenty of elk in Colorado. There's plenty of elk other places where you can do that. I just prefer to stack a few points and go to a place where maybe I can get away. Uh, in Montana and Wyoming, you can actually buy just a preference point alone for about 50 bucks. Uh, I think July through October. Um, now, rules are constantly changing, so all of this stuff may be out of date when you're listening to this. This is recorded in uh, February of 2022, so make sure you check the regulations on the websites, look into it. I will say Montana is probably the most confusing state of all time where I'm looking to go this year. Um, but I wanted to give you that, that basics. Um, is, is over-the-counter versus draw units, they both can be good. Um, you can kill elk in both. It's just a matter of, do you want to be around people? Um, and not to say some draw units, there's a lot of people because they allow, allocate a lot of tags. So, um, you know, you just got to weigh all that kind of thing. Draw tags don't necessarily cost more from what I've experienced. There may be a little bit of an application fee. Um, same cost. It's just a matter of you have to get drawn and you got to know what your draw odds are. Um, and uh, there's a lot of resources online. I'm not going to dive much further into that. If you want more tips on that, check out Corey Jacobson. Randy Newberg, look on YouTube, look up how to get drawn in XYZ, whatever state you want to go to. They have a video on on those states and how that works. Okay. Uh, once again, cost, you're looking somewhere between $700 to $1,000 just for your tag. Um, you also got to factor in uh, lodging. Where are you going to stay? I'll talk about that more in detail. You got to figure out gas price to get there. So get on a uh, trip calculator and figure out what you know, how much is it going to cost? Are you going to fly out there? Then if you're going to fly, you got to figure out how you're going to get your weapons, how you're going to get the meat back, those sorts of things. Um, are you going to uh, cut up the meat yourself? Or are you going to try and find a processor while you're out there so that you can um, just bring back the meat and not have to worry about cutting it up? Are you going deep in the backcountry? If you shoot an elk way back there, do you are you going to be able to haul it out yourself? Or are you going to need to find somebody out there who has a team of horses that can come in and pack it out for you for three, four, five hundred dollars, whatever they charge. So those are the things that go into cost and planning. I'm not going to go too deep into that rabbit hole, um, but your biggest expense is most likely going to be your tag, unless you're staying at the Hilton um, and you want to stay in a hotel every night and have super nice lodging. I have found, uh, I, well, I guess I'll go down to the, the lodging part now. Um, I have found that cabins out there are fairly cheap, um, but you probably need to reserve them earlier than later. You can't wait until August um, to reserve most of these cabins. Uh, for example, some of the cabins that we were looking at this year in Montana, there's some that are like 50 bucks a night. You split that two ways, and it's really, you're, you're not too bad uh, if you're going on a five to 10 uh, day trip. Um, so, that's uh, the next thing to kind of start thinking about is you think about what weapon you're hunting with. Do you want to draw a unit or an over-the-counter unit? You're also going to think about what time of year do you want to go. I want to go mid-September. That's whenever the best elk rut is. I, you also got to think about, I didn't mention this, how many days do you want to go? Um, how many days is it going to take you to get there? Going to Montana takes me one day and four hours. So I know that at least two and a half of my days probably are going to be spent just getting there and coming home. Um, so... You know, if you've only got five days, eh, 
it's going to be a little bit trickier to manage that if you're driving from the East Coast. So you got to figure out how many days you can spend there. I've kind of found 10 days tops. So it's kind of this, I, I can't do two weeks. It's way too long for my wife to handle. But if I leave and I come back 10 days later, you know, so I have about actually seven days to hunt. Um, that's, that's more than enough time for me to kill myself uh, in the woods. So lodging. Do you want to go into the deep back country like you see on those videos and wake up with snow all around and elks bugling? Um, that is very romanticized, just so you're aware. That is hard. Um, if you have never done that before, it's extremely hard. Do you have the gear for that? You're going to have to buy a decent tent. You're going to have like a lightweight tent so you don't kill yourself carrying it back in there. Uh, you're going to have to have a jet boil. How are you going to eat food? How are you going to get water? There are all kinds of factors that go into that, and I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm just saying, if you're trying to do this on a budget, that might not be your first trip. You might try and just do a camp beside the road at a campground, so you got your truck there, and you can hang up one of those little solar-powered <laughs> showers and get a little shower, get some decent rest. Um, you might look into the cabins. Um, part of this is all going to be decided by the next component that you need to look into, and that is access. I cannot stress this one enough. How are you going to get into the elk woods? Please don't tell me that you're just going to hike there. Um, <laughs> there are sometimes places, like on you see, like I said, you got to forget what you see on YouTube. YouTube, what happens? These guys get in their trucks and they're driving through this wooded forest and all of a sudden they come to a trailhead and there's a trail marker right there for a well-marked trail. They get on that trail, they hike five miles, they bail off the trail, maybe two miles, they find a place to camp and they're in elk. They wake up and they're surrounded. It can work like that. My two previous two elk trips, that's not how it's looked. Um, my first elk trip, you could drive a truck back to a trailhead and you could go a little ways on that trail, but then you pretty much realize you're not, like second rifle season, those elk are way back. I needed to have mules, horses, a four-wheeler. I needed something that first year to get anywhere close to being where the elk are at that point. Those elk, if you're going into rifle season, you have to think about this. They've already survived archery season. They've already survived muzzleloader season. They've already survived a first rifle season. Three straight, you think about, if you're hunting whitetails, uh, think about how deer react after gun season. They're hard to find, right? Like they, they, they go into their sanctuaries. That's exactly what they do in like a second, third, fourth rifle season. So you have to figure out how to get there. Um, and you, you can be in great shape. You might be campaigns, but sometimes that's a long hike to even begin. 2019, I went to what was basically an ATV unit. Uh, you could drive a dirt bike all over that unit. There are trails everywhere. And fortunately, the people I had gone with, um, they knew that. And so I brought my four-wheeler and I was able to get back in. I would not have been able to physically walk to where we had found elk. We found elk on three different hunts. And without a four-wheeler, I don't think I could have got there from the cabins. I would have had to try and sleep back in there, but then I would have been sleeping right off of four-wheeler trails with people driving by me at different times of the night, potentially. Um, you know, you've just got to look at that. And here's how I recommend that. Look, get on Onyx first and turn on the trails map. Turn on that. Try and understand. Look at your legend on Onyx or whatever you use and understand what they say. Now, Onyx isn't 100% accurate on where all the trails are. Uh, they have limited resources as to what those things look like. You need to buy a paper map. Uh, get get a paper map for the unit or the wilderness area that you're going into. Look that up, 
and buy a paper map. I, I don't know what, what it is about having that map, but being able to unfold the whole thing and see everything clearly, it just opens up your mind to how big the unit is, uh, the different intricacies of campgrounds, where the roads are, how far can you actually take a four-wheeler in. Sometimes those paths are closed, and if they're closed, you might have to walk an extra five miles to get to where you're planning to hunt. So access is incredibly important to, to look at. The other thing is download Google Earth on your phone uh, or on your computer, and whenever you find a spot that you think looks good on Onyx, open up Google Earth and see what it actually really looks like. Um, there are times that you think, oh, that didn't look like too bad of a hike. And then you get on Google Earth and you use that little mode where you can kind of see the, the contours of the hill better. You're not just looking at an aerial topo map. You're looking at it. You're like, holy cow, that might actually kill me. Um, that's, that's another resource. that I, So I take those three things. I take Onyx to just kind of find general areas using the topos. I use uh, the forest maps. And then I use Google Earth to try and really understand what am I getting myself into. Uh, what does it look like, and how far does that road go? Google Earth, a lot of times, will show you a lot better picture of what the trails look like. Um, so highly recommend understanding that access because everybody, if you're in decent shape, you're like, oh, I can hike that far back. But why Why would you hike five miles through area where there's no elk at all to get to elk territory whenever you could drive right up to that spot, or you could take a horse or llamas or whatever it is to get to that spot? Maybe you are hunting just a truck unit, and you can just drive up the trail trailheads. That's awesome. <laughs> I haven't been to one of those yet. Maybe I should look into it. So access, um, and then the next part would be scouting. Uh, like I said, I'm not going to dive into that too deep. Uh, like What I just mentioned is, is part of that. But understanding elk behavior, where do elk want to be at a certain time of the year? Uh, Randy, Jake, Randy Newberg, Corey Jacobson, born and raised outdoors. Look up those resources. Do not go just thinking that... If you buy a Hoochie Mama call from Walmart, you can just go into the Elk Woods and call one right in. Um, that that You might get lucky. <laughs> you might pick a good spot. Most likely, that's not going to happen. That first year, I knew nothing. I was banking on my cousins to know, and uh, God love them. They're good folks, but I didn't realize the time that they had success. They, they'd been to this spot before. They had an outfitter. I didn't know that. Uh, they had a guide. <laughs> and so I was banking on them know where the elk were and they'd never been to this spot in the unit that we were hunting and so they they really didn't they were as clueless as what i was as far as where to go um and uh you know i i it was one of those things where i realized shoot i have banked entirely on these people way too much i need to know i didn't encourage you there are so many resources there's no excuse to go into the elk woods without a little bit of knowledge on how elk operate where are they going to feed what are they where are they going to bed the, the quick tip that I'll tell you is north-facing slopes are absolutely key from my experience. Um, they're not everything. Elk are wherever they are. Uh, some people tell you they're up high. Some people tell you they're down low. I don't know if that's true necessarily, but um, depends on the type of year. But understanding that elk behavior is critical. Um, are you going to understand everything? No, but just read a few articles. Get, watch a few YouTube videos and try and that are educational, not just the, you know, it's hard to learn from those quick snippets of, of guys hunting. But Really do some work on that. Learn some things about elk behavior. And the next part of that is if you are going during the rut, learn how to call. Once again, don't just go buy that simple little box brand call and think that that's going to be all you need to do. Um, learn how to run a mouth read. They're not that hard, especially for elk. I find elk to actually be a little bit easier than turkeys. Um, but if you can run a turkey call, you can run an elk diaphragm. 
You don't, if you can't do that, they do make other calls that are a little bit better than the box brand. Um, you can research those and find, um, you know, you're going to need a mouth read to make the mew sound. That's the sound that a cow makes. That's important. You're going to need a bugle tube so that you can really reach out there and drop some different bugle tube calls, um, location calls, challenge calls. And then, once again, I would I cannot recommend um, Paul Medell Elk Nut enough. Elk Nut has an app where he teaches you how to use these calls, or you can just listen to a lot of podcasts, and he'll also teach you on there different times to use what call. Uh, it really is a language, and without Paul Medell, I don't know that I would have had that experience where I cow-called my way into a screaming bull. He wasn't screaming whenever we found him. He was just letting off occasional bugles. He wasn't, like, fired up. Um, usually what you can do, what you see on TV is, or these YouTube things, Corey Jacobson does this a lot, they find a hot bull, he bugles one, they let out a location bugle, that bull fires off immediately, cuts him off with an angry challenge bugle, they get within 100 yards or thereabouts, they let out a cow call, make him think there's a cow, and he bugles, and then they come over the top with their own challenge. And it's like slapping a guy at a bar, like that, that bull comes in, charging, that's what you see on YouTube, these bulls come in, they're raking, and they're fired up, that hasn't happened for me yet. Um, I'd love for that to happen. But you got to find a hot bull first. It's kind of like turkey hunting. you got to find that hot turkey that really wants, like, he just wants to die. Um, but what if you find one that's kind of lethargic? He's just kind of letting you know you let out a light location bugle, and he just, just lets out a nice little one back, not real fired up. That's what happened for us. Listening to Paul Medell uh, gave me at least a, an idea of what to do. Would I do it differently now? Well, yeah, I learned a few things about how that worked, but... I used a cow call, and I cow called, took off running through the woods, breaking limbs, kicking rocks, not trying to be stealthy. I was trying to make as much noise and sound like a cow running to a bull, and that bull lost his mind. He bugled 20 times from the time I started that until I got over there and ended up getting busted by his uh, harem of cows. Um, but that was incredible. I, I relived that moment so many times. That was worth the price of admission for me. Um, I would not have been able to have that experience uh, had I not listened to Paul Medell and learned elk behavior and elk calling. Learn it. Take time. Do it. It's worth it. Uh, don't, don't think that you can't. It is obtainable to be able to do those things. If I can do it, trust me, you can too. Next part for prep is you got to think about physical conditioning. Um, what kind of shape are you in? Um, how far can you legitimately hike whenever you can't breathe? Um, altitude, if you're over 9,000 feet, you're going to be dealing with altitude, and those first two days are going to be brutal because you just feel like you can't catch your air. If you live out there, it's a different thing, but if you're Midwestern, if you're from a flat state, if you don't have hills, um, I'm fortunate now to live in southeast Ohio where I have hills to practice on. Uh, even that um, doesn't prepare you for what that is whenever you lose your oxygen. It takes a few days to acclimate. I recommend those first couple days just going a little slower if you can. Don't kill yourself. Um, <laughs> and you got to get yourself into a decent shape. Do you have to be Cam Haynes? Do you have to be able to run a marathon? No. But being in decent overall, just good shape, is going to help you in the long haul. Having legs that can go up a mountain. My legs never gave out. Um, my oxygen might. I might have to take breaks, right? So, But my legs, I could keep, I could keep pumping. I could keep going. I could embrace the grind. Um, but I would recommend if, if it's, uh, you're listening to this in February and you're thinking about going this year or whatever, just start, just get in decent shape, um, add, walk a couple miles. One thing I did, uh, last trip that helped was I threw on a weighted pack. Um, I got a frame pack, got a cheap one from Alps Outdoors. You can get a frame pack that doesn't have to be super expensive. Is it the most comfortable? No. Um, but it gets the job done. Throw on 25 pounds and start hiking two or three miles. 
and then start adding a few more miles and then start uh, every once in a while sprint up some hills and simulate, hey, there's an elk up there bugling, how fast can you get up there kind of thing. Um, just that is a major help. And then throw in some cardio, throw in leg days. Um, you don't have to have a gym membership, although I do now. This year I've realized having a Stairmaster and being able to go to the gym and, and do that is going to be helpful. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of programs out there that you can do, uh, but it's just going to make your hunt more enjoyable. Uh, if you do absolutely nothing, you will be hurting. And by day three or four, if that bull does actually bugle down in that basin, you're not going to want to go get him. Um, you're going to say, yeah, I don't know how I'd get him out of there. That's going to be your excuse. I hear that so many times from so many guys. Well, I had one bugle, but I, I didn't know how I'd ever get him out of that spot. I I hope that I'm in good enough shape that I never have to say that and make that excuse because sometimes that's the only bugle you're ever going to get. Um, just depending on the trip, you got to be willing to chase some where they are. If that's, if that's your dream, if you're doing second rifle or first rifle, it might be a little bit different. Um, you're still trying to get in far, but maybe you're able to see them at 300 yards. You don't have to hike. could be a different scenario, but, um, I, I just think being in decent shape is helpful, um, for your hunt. Next thing um, that you really need to spend some time thinking about is who are you going to go with? Um, who are you going to go elk hunting with? Who's your elk hunting partners? Are you going solo? If so, um, how are you going to manage packing out um, a giant bull if you're going back in any distance? You, I mean, I, it looks good on TV, but my goodness, I don't know how you do that. I carried one elk out helping a guy pack a cow, and I can just tell you that was the heaviest thing I ever put on my back, by 80, 90-pound quarter, um, going straight up a mountain, trying to get to a four-wheeler trail. I mean, I could take 10 steps and I'd be sucking for wind. It took me about a half hour to go maybe 100 yards. Um, one of the hardest things I've ever done f from a physical standpoint. Uh, who are you going to go with? Um, who's going to be your partner? Having more people helps you split out the cost, especially if you're staying in cabins or whatever. Uh, you can split that cost and really knock it down. But you need to understand just because you have a good buddy that likes to elk, uh, that likes to deer hunt, um, doesn't mean that they might be the best elk hunting partner. And I want to say this uh, right off the bat: uh, I have a really good friend named Travis Shire. You guys know he's been on the show. And Trav and I, we got so jacked over elk hunting in 2019. Uh, he was fired up, I was fired up, and we got out there. And after that day one, we tried to take it easy, but we didn't. If you go back, you can listen. Go to 2019, look up our Colorado recap, and you can just hear it in our voices. Um, Trav discovered pretty quickly elk hunting wasn't his cup of tea. Uh, Trav likes to be extremely efficient in his hunts. He actually only whitetail hunts maybe five to ten times a year tops. He's usually tagged out in October because he's good. He knows how to use his corn. He knows and he likes to get up, drink his coffee, go out there and kill one in the evenings. And that's what he discovered while he was out there is that it wasn't really his thing. To his credit, great friend, he stayed another nine days after he discovered he didn't really want to be there. Um, he, he stopped hunting after day four, day five, he started going into archery shops in the local town, started getting on the four wheeler and just going on little joy rides, went fishing. Um, he just discovered it wasn't, he did not want to grind. Uh, that wasn't his personality. The mountains were way too big and it just, he felt like even if he shot one with his recurve, it wouldn't be worth, uh, the amount of effort he'd have to put in to shoot it. Uh, and I was, that's not me. I love it. I love that grind. I love sucking wind, trying to get up a mountain to chase a bugle like that. I, I, I pushed hard and Trav stayed and that was awesome. Uh, incredible friend. So anything I'm saying, please understand is not anything against Travis Shire, but I did realize 
this would probably be a little bit easier and a little bit better if I had a partner. In fact, on day four, our friends who had been there before came out, um, and uh, because of scheduling and all that stuff, we couldn't be there at the same time. That was probably another mistake. Um, but Eric, uh, he's in Shedding Light, uh, one of our contributors, Eric got out there, and I found out that he could grind, and he liked to hunt the same way I did with the calling and that sort of thing. And so a couple of the days I chased bugles with him, and it was just a great experience. Uh, we had fun, could eat lunch together, um, and just laugh. And, and, and that was a really cool experience with him. And I should have hunted with him more. Um, <laughs> what I ended up doing, I'll just tell you this real quick, one other little side tip, is don't get tunnel vision while you're out there. After I call, cow called my way into that bull, I went back to that same location another three or four hunts, just hoping that those elk were still there. Elk are not like whitetails. Most likely, they're not going to be in the exact same spot over and over. They travel a lot. Uh, they can cover miles and miles over a short period of time. Um, I should have been hunting with Eric instead of going back to that spot where I'd found elk just the one day. Um, that was a fatal fall of 2019. But uh, the day after I left, Eric um, had a giant 7x7 seven seven, over 300-inch bull come in, and he made a frontal shot and just was so pumped for him. A little disappointed. We did leave one day early. That was my choice, not Trav's. I was spent. I was tired. Wanted to get back home to my wife. And um, so think about your hunting partners. Who, who wants to hunt like you hunt? Who uh, is going to be uh, somebody that you can tolerate for 7 to 10 days in the backcountry? Who's going to be a person who's going to actually help contribute and not just, uh, you know, be a moocher. If, you, if you're the one that's going to spend the money, are they going to help out? Are they going to help pay for gas? You know, you got to think about those, those things because partners, hunting partners can make or break your trip. They really can. Um, uh, having somebody who has different ideals or and maybe they just want to sit over water, well, if, if that's not how you want to hunt, then you're going to have to either hunt separately or you're going to have to hunt with them or figure something out. So make sure you spend some time thinking about that. There are people online every year always looking for hunting partners. You get on forums and people from different places are like, hey, I'm looking for somebody to hunt with. I don't know if I would do that. That's a pretty bold uh, thing. You don't have a clue who that person is. You have no idea. Some people have great experiences with that. Other people have horror stories, um, you know, but... If there's some people that you know that like to hunt, that, that's where I kind of thought about Matt this year. Um, Matt, I, I know that he hunts public land. Uh, uh, he's gotten into that. He was on uh, two, two episodes ago, I think. Matt, um, you know, he loves to grind, and he, he knows what it is to have a hard hunting season. And he's, he's the one that told me, I mean, I got a dream. I really would love to do that. And so I started hitting him up in December, like, do you really want to do this? Because... Eric is not able to go this year like I was planning on. His health uh, isn't working out for him right now on that. A few things in the way. And um, I was planning on going this year, so uh, Eric gave me the blessing to go ahead. <laughs> and uh, So I started talking to Matt, and that's how. And I think Matt's going to be a great hunting partner. Um, we're sending each other workouts right now. It's another way to do the physical part. Uh, not the same. We don't do the same thing. But I'll just tell him, hey, here's the green check mark. If I did something, he'll send me it, and we'll congratulate each other on it and uh, just stay in contact. So think about your hunting partners. Think about that, um, you know, how you're going to split the cost of everything. And, and work out those details. Uh, don't, don't leave that. What's your expectation on if you shoot an elk, are they wanting the meat? If they help you pack it out, um, what's, are, are you going to share? You know, those are just conversations you probably want to have. Don't ruin your friendship over elk hunting. And that's one of the things I can say I'm proud of. Trav, Shire, and I, we still talk to each other every day, even though it wasn't his cup of tea. 
this didn't this this strengthened our, re- our relationship. In fact, it made me understand him a little bit better about how he likes to do things. And um, no regrets. It was a great trip in 2019, and loved it. Loved 2016. Um, where was I going to go? I had another thought there. I want to share with you guys. And let me dra- grab a drink of coffee here. That'll help. There we go. Um, yeah. So, trying to think if there's anything else with that. Uh, that's all I have wrote down. Um, I think with elk hunting, uh, I'll give you the spiel that uh, Eric's dad gave to me before uh, we went out there. Uh, he said this multiple times. Eric's dad is probably in his sixties, I think, and he's the one who had he started elk hunting in Colorado, uh, mule deer hunting actually, I think, in like seventies, eighties, and then he and Eric went there two or three times in the nineties, and they hadn't been back until twenty nineteen to this draw unit that we went to, and Eric's dad took me and Shire aside and said. Well, here's the thing about elk hunting, boys. Uh, It's going to be miserable. Uh, You're going to be sore. By day four, you're going to be so tired that you can't even think. Uh, You're not going to like the way you smell. And it's just going to be downright extremely hard and miserable. But other than that, it's a pretty good time. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times uh, Greg told us that. and, And in some ways, there's some truth to that. It really is one of those things that it is. it can be extremely hard. Uh, depending on where you're going, the country, but it is worth it. If you've never been to the mountains, hunting up in those mountains and experiencing God's creation in that way, just being there is truly uh, worth the price for me. Um, Do I want to see elk? Do I want to get into elk? Absolutely. Um, I don't want to just spend that money just to look at, you know, mountains, but um, it is beautiful out there. You do appreciate that. That first bugle I heard in 2019 while out road bugling, um, that's one way I located one day was just driving around. That just, I mean, I was, that's what I came for. I was like, man, I want to hear a bugle, and I heard it. And not only did I get to hear it, I got to chase it on three different occasions. And, um, and I want to do that again. And I want to do that. Once you go out once, you might say it's a bucket list item, but once you go out and experience that one time, you're probably going to want to do it again. <laughs> so don't make the mistake and tell your wife, yeah, I just want to do this one time, get it out of my system. It's, it's, it doesn't work that way, at least it didn't for me. Um, I want to keep going. I want to take my kids out there. I want, if either of my kids get into hunting, I really want them to experience what I've experienced because it's just amazing, absolutely amazing. And speaking of kids and, and wives, uh, <laughs> that's what I thought of earlier that I, I forgot. And I wanted to say this real quick. Because this could be another huge factor in you deciding if you're going to go on an elk trip. And that's your family. The fact that you are going to get in a vehicle or a plane or whatever and leave your family for five to ten days. um, For some folks, that's a lot. That's tough. I will say the second I get in my car and I leave, I miss my family already. And the more, like the longer that hunt goes, the more, like, yeah, am I out doing my dream? Do I love it? Sure. But really, the true dream is is back home. Uh, It's what I left. That's that's the dream, really, right there. <laughs> and um, I always have to remember that. I don't know what your relationship is like. My wife and I, we're coming up on 13 years. We have a very good relationship, open communication. Um, would my wife prefer that I not elk hunt? Probably. Um, is she okay with it once every three years? Yeah, because she loves me. Um, she cares about me. She knows that it's a passion. We've worked that deal out. We've had conversations about it. We've talked about how I need to have these extra side jobs um, to help to help finance it, you know, 50 bucks a month. Okay, that's great. But what about vacation? Are we saving for that too for us to take the kids to Disney in a few years or whatever? Um, you know, those are conversations that you need to have if you're able to have them. 
if that's not your relationship, if you don't feel like it's it's there, um, and your wife just isn't going to understand, I want to tell you this: elk hunting, any type of hunting, is not worth you losing your family over. I have seen guys get so wrapped up into whitetail hunting and other things that they forsake their families. Um, they they spent too much time in the woods thinking, wishing that their families were like other families that were okay with it um, or seemed to be okay with it. Guys, quit playing the comparison game and play the deck of cards that you have. Uh, if your wife gets upset with you being gone all the time, work that out. Go get some counseling. Do something. Do not lose your relationships over some animal that lets out some cool noises in the woods it's it is not worth it um to do that i think god calls us to be good husbands to be good fathers and if you're a single dude listening to this go hunting right now stop what you're doing (laughs) i'm just messing around but um you know this does kind of make me think a lot beyond all of that uh, and that's 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 it for elk my elk trip planning 101 so the rest of this i'm going to go down a different path Thank you guys for listening, um, and I hope that you'll continue to listen. But it makes me think about, do you ever just wish that you were a better person? You have this dream ideal of this, lo- this person that you wish that you were. You know, I-, I feel that sometimes, like, man, I wish I was better. And what I-, I think that is, is I actually think that that's from God. There was one person on this planet that lived a human life that was perfect, and his name was Jesus Christ. And Jesus came, and he was a human, and he... Uh, fully human, fully God, but he experienced what we experienced, and he never sinned. Uh, you know, he did all the things that I have in my head that I wish that I could do. He'd get up early and go up on a mountain and talk to the Lord. Um, he would show compassion to people, like anybody, everybody, the people who were his people, people who weren't his people. He loved. He was bold whenever somebody was, you know, the religious people. He'd get up in their faces about how they treated uh, people. I mean, he he had all these qualities, and I wish that I was more like him, and I think that that is a good thing. Here's the cool part, is that I think if we believe in Jesus, we confess, we repent, we're baptized into his name, God basically looks at us through his son's lens. Through his son, he sees us. And so in, in God's eyes, we're perfect. <laughs> we are who he wants us to be because of his son. Isn't that amazing? Like It just blows me away that God looks at me that way. Yet at the same time, I still have that longing feeling, right? Paul talks about this battle that he has, that old guy that, that he killed, that he got rid of to become like Jesus. Um, that guy still comes back from time to time. That old man comes out, and I have that so often where I'm lazy and I don't want to do the things I should do, and there's just challenges, sin pops up, things where I don't watch my mouth and other things like that. Um, and I think, man, I wish I was better. And I do think that that is God calling us to just be more like Jesus because if I'm more like Jesus, then I have a better life. I'm, I am maybe not better life, but I have a better purpose. I am aligned with God's will. Um, I want you to hear this clearly. I don't try to become better or chase that dream of being like Jesus so that I earn God's favor. That, that's already been done through what Jesus did on the cross. I had nothing to do with it. I was given that gift. It's called grace, and I accept that. What I do, though, is a way of saying thank you. How do I say thank you to God? And I think the way I say thank you is by offering my life as a living sacrifice. I try and pick up my cross daily and be like Jesus was, and Jesus is. And I'll be honest, that sometimes takes some planning. That's a lofty dream, like elk hunting. (laughs) Uh, 
I can hope that one day I look more and more like Jesus, but if I don't ever take any steps, I can't expect to be there. So I want to give you some practical ideas. Um, what about reading your Bible? Will that change you? Will that make you be more like Jesus? I believe so. I believe the, the Word of God will change us. I've talked about ideas before, but maybe you're not going to read the Bible an entire year. You mean, you'll make it through Genesis and Exodus, but you get the Numbers and Leviticus, you're definitely going to burn out. Way too weird in there, right? <laughs> so maybe what it is is you say, you know what, I'm just going to get on the version Bible app. I'm going to get a couple buddies, and we're just going to do a, a, one of those devotional plans. Maybe that's the way to start, something small. Five-day plan, let's talk about it. Maybe you like to shoot your bow. Uh, it's bow league season. Maybe before bow league, you get a few guys together, and uh, or before shooting in your backyard or whatever, you say, hey, let's. Uh, why don't we just grab a Bible and we we're gonna meet. Um, we'll shoot at seven, but let's meet at six thirty and let's just crack open a Bible and let's read a chapter out of uh, Proverbs, you know, or or something that maybe read something out of one of the Gospels. Um, you know, that's a step. You know, doing doing um, Bible reading together, I find that that's more effective than me trying to do it by myself all the time. I try and do it by myself, but once again, it's I'm hit and miss with that. Um, prayer. What about prayer? We all have in our minds, man, I want to be that guy that gets up super early and prays. Well, maybe that's maybe that's not going to happen for you right away. Maybe your discipline isn't there. Maybe it's you have a 15-minute uh, ride to work, and instead of listening to me ramble on these podcasts, <laughs> you turn off the podcast, you turn off the radio, and at least once a week, you spend that 15 minutes just in prayer to God, thanking Him for who He is, praying for what's going on in your life, asking Him to make you be a better man. Uh, give you opportunities. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe you want to just be a more generous and compassion, compassionate person. Make a plan for it. Say, you know what? This week, I'm going to bless uh, three people, two of which I know, and one maybe is somebody that I don't know. I'll see if I can find somebody, just some random stranger to do a random act of kindness. And so you buy a buddy's lunch one day. The next day, uh, you send somebody just a nice text message. Hey, dude, really appreciate um, you or whatever. You know, I mean, however deep you want to get into that. And then you uh, you do something nice for a neighbor. You plow their driveway if it's snowing, or you you go and um, visit somebody who's been sick. Or I don't, there's a lot of different things that you can do. But if you did that three times a week, do you think you'd probably be a more compassionate, nicer person? I, I would say so. I think that if we intentionally made that plan, then the dream could become more of a reality. Um, so that's just what I want to leave with you. There's a million examples I could give of a lot of different things. Um, we don't all change at once. Um, do us, does our soul change? Do we get right with God? Absolutely, when we come to Christ. But do, do, do those old habits just automatically go away? Not necessarily. Um, and it takes that planning, it takes that effort to grow and, and become more like Jesus. So I'd encourage you to do it because it is absolutely worth it. Guys, I want to thank you for listening for another episode. For me, Ramble, here about an hour talking about elk hunting and what you can do to get out there. Uh, once again, it's a stereotype. It's just what's worked for me. Hopefully, it's something that might help you out as you think about it. If you have any questions about any of this, I am more than willing to share what I know, limited as it may be. I do know a lot of resources where you can find the answers. And uh, you can send me an email at sheddinglightod at gmail.com. Uh, I'd encourage you to do that. would love to hear from you. Guys, that's the end of this bonus episode. Thank you so much for listening. Hope it was helpful. Hope that you have a great week. And until next time, remember to shed the light.